Hello and welcome to So What You're Saying Is. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, I'm delighted that my guest today has been on the show before and was a very, very popular guest. Nick Buckley uh, was one of the more high-profile victims of cancel culture a year or so ago, and he came on the show to tell us all about it. Since then, he's written a book, which is due out very shortly, called Lessons in Courage, How I Took on Cancel Culture and Won. Uh, thank you for coming back, Nick. Um, can I just ask you to very briefly recap? You know, you were cancelled from a charity that you yep. were running at the time. And this was 18 months ago now? Was yeah. It? yeah. And um, basically, how did you, as it were, win against it? Yeah, so it was last summer. Yeah. I wrote a blog about Black Lives Matter. Um, that went rival um, on Twitter. People called for my sacking from the charity I founded and the board then capitulated through a mixture of fear and cowardice and I was sacked and I decided I wasn't taking it so I'm out with a fight back and within five weeks I'd forced the board to resign and I took my role back. So that's the story in a nutshell. Yes, I mean it, it was a lot of publicity, you had a yes. lot of publicity, you, you know, you, you were uh, distinguished in, in this charity, yeah. you had the MBE, uh, and then just simply for having written things about at least drawing people's attention, as I understand it, yeah. to what Black Lives Matter stood for on their website. The, the whole article was based on their website. Yes. Defund yeah. the police, overthrow capitalism, disrupt the Western nuclear family. There was nothing I'd made up in that. I was quoting what they were talking about on yeah. their website. And you have to give Black Lives Matter some credit. They're not hiding what they want. No. They're telling us. We just don't want to listen. Well, it's funny, particularly journalists don't want to listen, yes. I think, because uh, I remember, I think it was the mail, ooh, after quite a few weeks, if not months had passed, they did this expose, which was an expose of something that you had written about and that we all saw. Yes. I mean, we could have said, do you know this is what they want? Do you know this is what they are um, standing for? Um, what was it all like, though? And did it sort of take it out of you? It was horrendous. Um, I can come across a little bit glib sometimes now when I look back at that, but believe me, it wasn't a nice thing to go through. The first week, and I've said many times, I was a beaten man. I was a wreck. My whole life had just fallen apart. I felt I was to blame. I felt I'd made a fool of myself. Um, I'm now unemployable. I spent 20 years working in this field, helping children, and now I'm untouchable. Um, and then when I decided I was going to fight back, then the old me started coming back, but it come back bit by bit. Yes. And I would say it took, took a good year for me to get over this. Even after I'd won and everybody thought I was going to be ecstatic, I was still sad because I'd lost mm. friends on this. Mm. That, what was this about? And it took me a good year to get over it. Were they true friends then? Obviously not, but they felt like friends at the time. Mm. Um, one I'd known for 15 years, one nine, one seven years. So these weren't flash in the pan mm. acquaintances. Um, they capitulated because of the pressure and the fear and they succumbed to cowardice. Yes. What they should have said was, we're not gonna listen to Twitter. We know Nick mm. and we want Nick on our side and together we'll beat the online mob because they, they should have known what I was like. Mm. They should have known I wouldn't take it lying down. And at least if they'd have fought back, they would have had me on their side. And I can be quite formidable sometimes. Right. 
It's interesting that you know you went through this. We've just had another very high-profile case of Professor Kathleen Stark, who's been on this program, and uh, it looks like she has come out the other side too. But I just wonder because uh, cancel culture is something which the majority of the public now do they're aware of. But what was it like for you on a day-to-day -day basis? I mean, did you? I remember speaking to Harry Miller, and he was in deep depression when this is, you know, the guy who yep, was done by it. the police simply yep. for saying, they, they turned up and said, uh, we want to check your I thinking. Think scary. Yes, very scary. But he said, he was very frank, and he went into a deep, deep depression, which nearly got dangerous. What about you? What was it like with you? Only the first, the first week. Mm. The first week I was a wreck. But once I decided I wasn't having it, then the old Nick kicked in, which is, a, you know, someone who looked at... I've solved problems all my life, complicated problems, social problems. So once I realised I wasn't having it, all my energy and tension was right. Here's the problem. How do I break it down into manageable pieces? What shall I work on? What shan't I work on? And then it became a lot easier because I had focus. Um, a lot of it was in my hands. And at the beginning, all I was trying to do was clear my name. I wasn't trying to get the charity back. I was just trying to clear my name because I couldn't go on the rest of my life being known as Nick the Nazi. That wasn't going to get me anywhere mm -hmm. in life. Um, so it was about splitting everything up into bite-sized chunks and then knocking them off your list one at a time. Yes. Did you find, did you look at yourself anew? I mean, during this period, did, did, did any, did you think, did it change you in a material way or emotional way and you know i think some people for example they have hidden reserves they didn't realize they had things like this or they crumble i mean how how did it affect you what what kind of man are you now compared to before it's definitely changed me um i've been in the relationship for 12 years at that point and because i went through this that made me decide what am i waiting for anymore so I proposed, I get married in a couple of weeks. Oh, right. So it, I'm not saying it made me do that, that's the wrong thing I'll but it made me put perspective in my life. I realized then that some of the things I was doing was not important in the grand scheme of things. I need to put my family more to the top of the list. I've just become a, I became a granddad during all this as well for the first time. Right. And that beginning of that relationship was slightly damaged because I was a wreck. But I've made up for that now. Now I'm a doting granddad. So it's, it, there was a lot, of, it changed me for the better. Yes. So you, you're getting married in a few weeks from this interview? Yeah, two and a half weeks. Oh, where are you getting married? Just, it's only a small wedding at the local registry office, then a nice meal afterwards. And, and really, this is what, what so you sort of thought, actually, life is not a dress rehearsal, is basically what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And then when I was thinking, when I was going through this, that's what led to the book. Right. Because people have said to me, how, what, what, not what's special about you, but what was special in you or what luck did you have to achieve what you achieved and why didn't you crumble completely? And when I started writing the book, it was really about the life experiences I've had that gave me a skill that then was used during this time. And I realized my whole life was a training program for the fight of my life, which came last summer. Interesting that. So there's a sort of feeling of a kind of destiny about it, actually, that you're going to have to face up to something, you know, and actually show your mettle. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Now, the book is called, as I said, Lessons in 
courage. Yeah. I mean, that's quite a, a heavy title uh, to bear. Yeah. Um, and I think if I, there, are, there are 10 lessons that they're not in it, 10 lessons. Are these lessons that you learnt, or are they ones, uh, or are you saying this is what you should do to the reader? It's more of these lessons I learnt in my life, and when I was at my lowest point, I needed internal reserves. I realised I had them because of those lessons I'd already learnt. Right. Hence why we've got ten lessons in the book. Mm. I didn't want the book to be preachy. I've got no right and no experience to tell somebody else. Mm how they should gain courage, what they should do in their situation, because who am I? What I wanted was to give them examples of how you can overcome based on your own experiences, because people may have had different lessons in their life and mm. they need to use a learning from their lessons. Do you think though, that when, you, when you're writing a book, uh, did you think to yourself, I'm writing this for people who are actually already courageous, or do you <clears> think <throat> they are no longer courageous? I wrote the book not to make people courageous. I wrote the book to, so people could see when they were being cowards. Mm. I want people to avoid cowardice. There's a difference between being courageous and, and avoiding cowardice. So being courageous is, this is the right thing to do. Mm. I'm going to do it and I don't care what happens to me because this is the right thing to do. Mm. That's courageous. Avoiding cowardice is, I'm not going to go along with that and I'm going to not do it and not tell anybody I'm not doing it because it's the right thing to do. So it's, it's a lot more subdued. And if we can start with the baby steps, which is how to avoid cowardice, mm. courage will come later on. It's a very difficult, tough one though, isn't it, Nick? I mean, avoiding cowardice. For most people, what would that mean? So for example, if they don't want to do, for example, unconscious bias training, yep at work. Uh, does that mean therefore that they are cowardly for going along with it and, and attending? Not necessarily, not if your job's on the line, because what I don't want is martyrs. Mm. I don't want people losing their job over a silly training course. That helps nobody. Mm. But it's about when your boss says to you, hi everybody, we've got voluntary training coming up this Friday on white fragility or in mm. conscious by training, mm. and it's voluntary and you go, no, thank mm. you. Mm. Say no, thank you and don't do it. Don't feel you have to do it, even though it's voluntary. And let's say your boss then turns around the next week and says, it's now compulsory, and it's a week on Thursday. Well, how about thinking a week on Thursday, you're phoning sick, mm, mm, mm. and you may lose a day's pay. But you know, when you're fighting, you have to take some of these punches yourself, and losing a day's pay will help you feel not so much of a coward. And then maybe the next week, they say, Right, so many people cancelled it last week, we're running it again, and this time you all better turn up. Well, that's the time you do turn up because you don't want to lose your job. But the fact you've spoke out against it and the fact you didn't turn up and said you were sick, other people have noticed that. Mm. That then starts giving them a little bit of courage that I'm not the only one who thinks this is all rubbish and, and lunacy. And you, you can get courage by hearing other people do things and say things. And the more you do that, the more courage you will develop within yourself. And what we need to get away from is the silent majority being so silent and people sitting back and saying to themselves, I don't want, I don't like any of this, but I don't want to do anything about it in case I'm damaged. I'll let other people fight these battles. Now that's cowardice. I think you make, please do correct me, yeah. but I think that you do say 
what has happened to Britain, yeah. that we have become cowardly. Yes. Um, and is that just something that you've observed over the past few years, or do you think we've been that way for a long time? I think it's been getting worse over decades. And I don't mean every individual in the country is a coward. Mm. I'm talking about our organisations. I'm mm. talking about our politicians. I'm talking about our governments. Mm. When was the last time, apart from the vaccine that we created, which we didn't create, it was private industry created the vaccine. But apart from that, what other big problems have we solved in my lifetime? I can't think of any. Mm. We have open borders. We can't stop boats coming across the English Channel. We can't stop young men stabbing each other to death in record numbers in London. Mm. There's so many problems that we can't seem to solve anything anymore. And it's not because we're stupid, and it's not because we don't have money to solve these problems, because to solve complicated problems takes courage, mm. because you're going to upset people, you're going to uptip the apple cart, and politicians and people in organisations, it's easy to say, I want a quieter life. I don't want to risk my pension and my job. Mm. It was already broken when I turned up. So why should I be the one sticking my neck above the parapet to fix these problems when they were already here when I turned up? We need less politicians. We need more statespeople. Yes. People who do the right thing for the right reasons and don't care about the effect personally and politically on them because they know it's the right thing to do. Mm. Does that mean that you've, you, know, you have become, in this context, far more... Uh, should we say committed politically, you know, as a, as a result. You're talking very politically now yes. about this. So you, that's, that's changed in you, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so yeah. when I got my job back 18 months ago, I could have said, that was lucky. Yeah. yeah Pull yeah. the ladder up, mm. keep your mouth shut now, Mr. Buckley. Don't say anything else. You've got a nice job. You've got a nice life. And I thought about that, but something inside kept saying to me, this fight's not over for you, Nick. Mm. Don't be a coward. There'll be other people out there just like you who don't get your luck. I got a lot of luck when I won this battle. It was all down to me. Other people will deserve that luck and deserve to win and beat cancel culture. And if I just disappear now off the face of the earth and live my life, then I've done a disservice to these people mm. and I'm part of the problem then. So I'd like to get to a stage where the woke and the people engaged in cancel culture say to themselves, we're sorry the day we messed with Nick Buckley. Mm. Look, at, look at the problems he's causing us now. That's what I would class as a victory now. Isn't the, the classic one, we've heard this uh, uh, quite, uh, quite a few times, but it's worth saying again, that the absolute worst mistake you can make is to apologise, isn't it? It's one of the rules in my book. Is about, it? Yep. It's, um, at the end of the book, there's a chapter, I think it's chapter nine, where somebody tweeted me when I was writing the book and I was putting it on Twitter what I was doing. And this lady said, in your book, can you give us, not just lessons of what you learn, can you give us some advice about how we can be better and we can fight back? So the last chapter is that I did 12, 12 um, tips, basically. And one of them is don't apologise mm. if, if you don't mean it, mm. because there's not been an apology yet to the woke that they've accepted. Mm. All they do is they double down, they smell blood mm. and they go after you even harder because we've already pushed you back half a step. Mm. So you've already proved to us, you'll, you'll go backwards if we push. Wonder how far back you will go if we keep pushing and that's what they do. You need to go, there's the line and say, I'm not moving. Unless you've done something wrong. If you've done something wrong, the decent thing to do is go, 
I'm sorry about that phrase and I didn't mean it like that and I apologise for that because you know we, we all can misspeak, I can misspeak if we know we've done that we need to apologise not when they've asked us, we should do it automatically but if we're not sorry for what we've done or said never apologise I, I totally take your point there and it's a kind of nuanced, nuanced position uh, I can't help thinking that even when you've misspoken uh, these people they're not going to look say oh well look, look you know this person they've sort of said yeah they're going to think mm, like you said double down they're going to think right we've got one we've got it here we've got them um and you know they will go on because forgiveness is unknown yeah. to the woke isn't it yeah absolutely unknown uh so i think there's a bit of a problem there but i think isn't the crucial thing that you gave you give 12 tips mm. This is for people who are not necessarily in the public eye. Yeah. This is the crucial thing. Not academics, not in charities and things like this, who are facing these sorts of things on an everyday basis. Absolutely. So the first tip is start using the word no. No. We want you to do this. No. Don't explain yourself. You, you don't have to explain yourself to anybody. The answer is no. Second tip I give is pretend to be confident. Because there's only two types of people in this world. People who are not confident and people who pretend to be confident. Mm. Because that's all that exists. So if you start looking like and talking as if you're a confident person, then you do start developing a little bit of confidence yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you won't be picked on, you won't be bullied because you look confident. Um, act now. Stop putting things off. Mm -hmm. So if things need to be done, things need to be said, then do it now because when you do it now, there's things off your list. You feel better about it and that develops confidence as well mm. so there's all these simple things we can do um, body language you know when you walk into a room walk into the room with, with your head up look people in the eye you've got nothing to hide you're not in favor to anybody all these things will develop that persona about you and then you will feel better about yourself and then you're more likely then to do the things you know you should be doing yes this has got a slight sort of feel of jordan peterson about it too you know it's sort of yeah. uh, and i mean that's in a complimentary way yeah, yeah. this idea that somehow take responsibility yeah. you know take responsibility actually for what you have done or said and uh, don't you know basically be a coward uh, essentially mm. don't forget this has been my career for two decades right. so i've spoken to tens of thousands of young people on the streets in police stations and everything i'm talking about now is what i've developed over those two decades mm. so saying to young people is this the life you want? Because this life you're going to get, take some responsibility. It wasn't the police's fault they arrested you for having cannabis in your pocket. You put that cannabis in your pocket. Mm. Don't blame the police that they're picking on you. Or why haven't you got a job? It's not that immigrants take all the jobs, mate. It's because you don't go to bed till four o'clock in the morning because you're playing video games and you've mm. got no education. You can't read, can't write. You've got a criminal record. But we can help you get a job. Mm. But you need to want one. Do you want one? you want a better life so th this has been my career for, for two decades yes. but now that you're becoming more political it's right to say really nick you're becoming more political yes you've you will actually i mean you stood didn't you for the uh, the recent local elections for the mayoralty in manchester yeah, didn't you? Manchester, claim, yeah. claim party. and uh somehow this has got to be put into a political message now hasn't yeah. it now you seem very very clear about it but 
then when you do stand, you will, you know, as you probably found out with Manchester, you know, there is a whole range of people like this ranged against you, basically saying why you're, everything is wrong that you're saying. Um, it's a different game, isn't it? Yeah. It's the political game. Yeah. You're up against career politicians yes. who have spin doctors who know, what do I know about politics? Hardly anything compared mm. to politicians. Mm. But again, it goes back to what I say, life's unfair. Mm. So it's unfair that people have got a better advantage than me in politics. But that doesn't mean I don't try. That doesn't mean I give up. That doesn't mean I say it's not worth doing. No. Because I'm standing up. I'm saying what I believe. So I'm not, there's no party line. This is what I want to do and this is what I want to achieve. And if you like the sound of this, then vote for me. Yeah. And that's called democracy. Yeah. Doesn't mean I'm right. The people may hear what I want to do and what I'm saying and go, no, we've moved away from that, Nick. That's old fashioned. Nobody wants to go back to that and personal responsibility. And if that's what the public tell me, well, that's their right to tell me. Mm -hmm. And then they won't get it. I, I want to leave these decisions to the people because I know what I'm saying resonates with the British public. But if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I won't get elected. I think that's a very good point because you say, you know, people say, oh, we don't want to go back to that. And you, most politicians will then just uh, make sure to sort of tailor their message around that. Whereas, in fact, you know, to quote Thatcher, for example, you say, no, uh, you know, this is what we've got. I refuse to accept decline, for example, in her case, um, whatever your feelings about Thatcher. In other words, a conviction politician. Really. Statesperson. Yeah, a statesperson. I've, I've only seen two states people in my lifetime. One was Margaret Thatcher, who said, this is my vision, this is where I want to go to, and if you don't like it, don't vote me in, because I'm not bending. Mm. And the other one, who I would never vote for, was Jeremy Corbyn. Right. This is my vision, this is where I want to take the country, and if you don't like it, don't vote for me. At that time, people didn't vote for him because they didn't like it. But at least he told the truth. At least he had a vision for the country, something mm. new, something different. Everybody in between has managed the country through um, public opinion. Mm. Here's a great policy. Like, leak it to the Daily Mail. See what the people say. Oh, they don't like it. Put it in a bin. Mm. What, well, if you think that's a good policy to improve the lives of the people in the country, then you need to implement it if you think that's the best policy. Mm. And we don't do that because all politicians want is to be re-elected again. Yeah. So it's always this four or five year cycle. Don't want to upset anybody. I want to do whatever they, all the pink and fluffy stuff will do. But the real hard problem solving, nobody wants to do anymore because it upsets some people. But how else are we going to improve the country? How have we got hundreds of young people being stabbed to death in London? And we've got to a stage now where it hardly makes the news. No mm. one talks about mm. it. Mm. It's, I want to pull my hair out. But what needs to be done, the politicians are too scared to do. Politicians and I'd say institutions, say for example, like the police, increasingly, you know, there's this sort of one is just after a while exasperated with this kind of, we can't really do that, we can't really do this. You sort of think, oh, this is like the 1970s again. Um, another thing you're involved with actually, and I, I, I heard you talking about this because we were both on a panel recently, yes. the Battle of Ideas. Uh, was about how people, this is not exactly, I don't think this is in your book, Nick, but it's how people can respond to the kind of woke attack. Um, in, in particular, this was about uh, as consumers, was it not? Yeah. This is something that you started go woke, go broke, right? Yes. 
Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so the idea came from when I was writing the book, because I mentioned it in the book. I give a load of ideas of how we can, how somebody needs to push back on all these issues. And I give examples of what, how we can push back at universities, how we can push back at all these organizations. And one of them was corporate companies. How do we push back against Ben and Jerry's ice cream? Mm. Um, and I came up with this idea. And then I sent the book off to the publishers and forgot about it. And then one day I thought, again, why, why am I telling other people what they need to do to push back? I should be doing some of this myself. So I thought I'll take that one idea. So Go Woke, Go Broke is about highlighting woke corporate companies and institutions and charities and putting information out into the public sphere saying, do you know that the British Legion last year have hired a diversity manager on 55,000 pound a year and it's funded through your donations when you buy poppies. Mm -hmm. So is that what you want your donations to go to? Because if it's not, then support a different armed forces charity. Mm -hmm. Ben and Jerry's ice cream. So they're lecturing the British government all the time on immigration and um, illegal immigration and what we should do. Well, do you know that Ben and Jerry's have been fined millions of pounds for having poisons in their ice cream? And their parent company, Unilever, uh, I think have been fined for environmental damage. And, and we're gonna take we're going to take moral advice from these mm. companies because mm. believe me, they really don't care about the issues. They only care about the money in your pocket. So if we start looking for alternatives mm. and we start saying we're going to buy this ice cream instead, Ben and Jerry's will get that message when they see their mm. profits mm. start falling and they will change their ways. Now, what I don't want are these companies to start espousing my views. I want them to keep their mouths shut when it comes to political issues. Mm. Sell the best ice cream you can mm. at the best price, give us great customer service, mm. uh, reduce the price if you can. But I don't want to know about your green agenda and what you think about the LBGT rainbow crossings in London. I, I don't care about any of that. Mm. Sell the product and be quiet about everything else. I think, I mean, this, yes, I, I've spoken about this myself, um, you know, uh, and the power of boycott. I mean, I do think this is enormous. It, people don't quite realise how much power they have in this way. In the pound uh, in the pocket. Yeah, but also it goes, does it not, for our public institutions? I mean, a classic one being the National Trust. People now, they have actually lost a lot of members. People are saying, well, actually, or taking increasingly people taking out charities out of their wills, you know, things like legacies and trust. Um, and it goes on and on and on. But I think that this is surely one way. Companies, institutions, they should do what they're meant to be doing and they shouldn't be doing this. Um, but I, do you think that there's this, I mean, I've been looking at these John Lewis ads recently, yes. you know, the one with the kids, yeah. this was for their financial services. And I, I just felt ghastly to even look at, I don't know. So work and it came seriously unstuck, didn't it? And I think they've withdrawn it. Yep. And again, the most recent Christmas one, it, just an absolute woke fest. Um, and I just sort of think, I wonder whether they just sort of think, oh well, we've we've got the likes of of him anyway. You know, like a, a family that's been to John Lewis for years, generations, right? Right. Um, so we don't need to worry. But we want we want to bring new people in. Is that what it's about? Is it, is it a commercial consideration? Are they looking and thinking, but we need new markets. We need to expand on new markets. 
Is that what it is? I think it's partly that, but I also think it's, you can imagine the boardrooms when, they dis when they're making these decisions for these yes. expensive advertisements. Right, what's this about? Right, it's, it's going to be this kid who's dressed up as a girl, being really obnoxious. Right, who's that going to appeal to? Oh, it's going to appeal to young people. They're going to think we're hip. Young people don't use John Lewis's. We'll get them in. Yeah. It'll get the trendy middle-class families coming in. And I'm sure there's that. But then I can also see the future for this, where five years from now, when we've all stopped using John Lewis because of it, yeah. there's a board meeting at John Lewis about the Christmas advertisement then, and they say, right, we're thinking of doing these things. Oh, right. Is anyone to complain about that? Well, it's partly this, it's partly that. We've been here before. And when mm. we did this last time, it cost us half a billion pounds. Mm. We need to go back to Santa, a fat man in a red suit, ringing some bells mm. and smiling kids. Mm. And once we start hitting their bottom line, doesn't matter if they believe in it or not, these are business people. Mm. Their pensions are index linked to their profits, their bonuses. The shareholders are not happy when the money goes down. It's all about the bottom line. It really yeah, is yeah, the bottom yeah, line. Yeah. And of course it, you know, Gillette came seriously unstuck, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, that was over, I think they're, they're Share price went right the way down and they lost a lot of money over the, um, yeah, the shavers. Thing. How yeah. can you sell shavers to men and say to them, stop being rapists, stop being evil, <laughs> yes. stop, stop being toxic, but buy our shavers. It's yes. like, whoever yeah. thought that was going to work? That is all part and parcel of the same thing, really, isn't it? Because it's like, basically, you're saying, don't be cowardly, but at the same time, realise how much power you have. Really. Be a ninja, not a whinger. So a stop, ninja, not a whinger. Stop sitting there complaining about how the country's falling apart and how you're ashamed of these institutions and how you're ashamed that we've not got the D-Day spirit anymore. Well, don't complain about it if you're doing nothing about it. Yes. So be a ninja, and what I mean by ninja is fight back sneakily because we don't want you getting in trouble and being a martyr. So be a ninja, not a whinger. I think you've given us our title <laughs> for, this, uh, for, this, uh, for this interview. Thank you very, very much. Now, the book is out. Do you, do you have a date? 30th of November. 30th of November. It can be pre-ordered now on Amazon. Okay. Lessons Encouraged, Nick Buckley. Um, thank you very, very much indeed. For thank you. In and uh, we'll, we'll see you very soon, I'm sure, again yes. uh, next year. And very best with the book. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, that's it for so what you're saying is, and uh, we shall see you uh, next time. Thank you very much.